Okay, I want to start out just a little light tonight. Um, and if anybody gets hungry, you can thank me for the chocolate because chocolate helps all stress, at least it does for me. We talked about stress events, something that happens that you're not expecting. And we talked about stress environments that some of us live in. Well, this was an interesting story that my brother-in-law sent me this week, and I just wanted to share it with you. A Minneapolis couple decided to go to Florida to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. They planned to stay at the same hotel that they had honeymooned at 12 years earlier. Because of their difficult schedules, it was impossible to coordinate their travel plans. So the husband left Minneapolis and flew to Florida on Thursday with his wife flying down the following day. The husband checked into the hotel. There was a computer in his room, so he decided to send an email to his wife to surprise her. However, he accidentally left out one letter in her email address, and without realizing the error, he sent it to her anyway. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a minister who had been called home to glory following a heart attack. The widow decided to check her email thinking maybe friends or family had sent her a condolence note. But after reading the first email, she screamed and she fainted. Her son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and saw the computer screen, which read, To my loving wife. Subject, I've arrived. <laughs> the date was January the 7th, 2016, and it read, I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now. <laughs> and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I have just arrived and have been checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is an uneventful one as mine was. P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> just a little levity before we get into... <laughs> talking about how to handle stress in our life. <laughs> okay, was there anybody who wasn't here last week? Is this your first time here? Okay, let, take out your booklet. Let me just give you the Reader's Digest version real quickly of what we talked about last week. We're looking at God's prescription for stress because we all live in stressful environments. So we looked at the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Knowing God makes worry unnecessary. And we looked at the name that David used, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is the name for Jehovah. And if you break that name down, Jah means he will be, Ov, he is being, and Ah, uh, he was. So in that one name that David says, the Lord, David is saying, the God who was in my past, who is with me today, will be with me in the future. You can count on him. You don't have to worry. And then knowing God makes worry uncharacteristic for our personal faith. We talked about the fact that the Lord is my shepherd. It's a personal pronoun. He's my shepherd, a personal relationship. And then the shepherd does four things for the sheep that our great shepherd also does for us. Number one, provides for all their necessities. Because we talked about how sheep are not such bright animals. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. Number two, he protects them from all harm. Number three, he guides because they have no sense of direction. So the shepherd guides his sheep as our great shepherd guides us. And number four, he corrects us. And we're going to 
get a little bit more into that next week. And then number three, knowing God makes worrying about the future unprofitable. We already talked about just the very name. God is all-sufficient. He has inexhaustible grace. I shall not want, David says. And then we talked about the busyness. That was the worry that can stress our lives. And then we talked the busy, about the busyness where we can get ourselves involved in so many good things that we neglect the best things. We talked about the conditions that must be met for a sheep to rest. Number one, they have to be free from fear. And these apply to our lives too. Number two, there has to be no friction in the flock to get that little lamb to lie down. They can't be hounded by frustrations. And we talked about the little frustrations that rob the joy out of our life. And they will not rest if they're still in need of food. And we talked about the fact that we give out, we give out, we give out. And so many times we don't take the time to be filled and be refreshed with God. And then also we looked at the fact that busyness can cause a waywardness that can misdirect our lives. Sleep lying down is a picture of, who remembers? Contentment. Something that is just missing in our world today, isn't it? And then we talked about the green pastures being newly planted and how important it is that we're listening, listening, focusing on our shepherd's voice because he may be leading us to a new pastor. Just because we've done the same thing, we've taught in the same age group, we've done the same Bible study, perhaps our shepherd wants to lead us to a new field. So that's where we ended last week. This week, we're going to look at uh, other areas. We're going to look at aimlessness and purposelessness. God's prescription for stress, Psalm 23.3. We're going to look at part two. In May of 1995, Courtney started telling you a little bit. She didn't know that I was going to talk tonight about the fact that we went on a mission trip when she was 14 to Ukraine. Joe Hester ran um, Missionary Encouragers, and he came to our church in North Carolina and started telling us about wanting to go into Ukraine and taking a riverboat, which you're going to see in just a minute. And this was anything but the love boat. This was after the fall of the wall, if y'all remember the Berlin Wall, and some of you are probably too young for that, but conditions in Ukraine during this time were absolutely hopeless. They were hopeless. They were dark. They were bleak. The people were bereft is the best word I can think of. They had no hope. They had no light. They had no joy because they had no Jesus. So what we were going to do was we were going to go over and meet their immediate physical needs. We were going to take medications because, as you remember, this was after Chernobyl, after the horrific nuclear accident, and so many of them needed thyroid medication, and they had no medicines in Ukraine. We would go in some of the hospitals and the clinics, and they would take us to where their supply closet was, and there was Nothing, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So it was going to be a humanitarian trip to take the medicines, to take Bibles. We took doctors. We took nurses. There were a 100 of us that went from America. Courtney and I were two of those 100. And then we joined up with a 100 Ukrainian pastors and their wives. And we got on this boat. There's our boat there. And we sailed down the Dnieper River. Each day we would stop in a major port. And during the day we would get off of that boat and we would go into the major cities. We would go to orphanages. We would go to schools. We would go to hospitals. We would go to um, just different areas that we had arranged ahead of time. And then at night we would come back and the pastors would teach off of the side of that boat. And you'll see we would have 
hundreds and sometimes thousands of people that would show up at night as the pastors would share about the light of the world, the hope that they needed, that though we may could bring them things for their physical ailments, that only Jesus could offer what they needed for all of time and eternity. And we would see thousands of people who would make professions of faith. These people, for the most part, had never heard about Jesus. They knew nothing about Jesus. Um, if you've ever been on a mission trip, how many of you have been on a mission trip overseas? This, this church loves foreign mission, which is one of the things that attracted us here. We were so excited about your love and your zest for missions. I had never been on a missions trip. Neither had Courtney. This was our first. And nobody had ever told me about the spiritual warfare that you go through before you ever go on a mission trip. The, the, oh, yeah, Diane says, it's unbelievable. Well, I'm going to tell you, I kept a journal starting the week before we left through our time on the coming back through the mission trip. And if you read my journal, and I'm going to just read you starting a week out what I put each day, you're going to see that it became the diary of a desperate woman in a desperate situation. I had no idea that we were going to go through in the States, what we went through before we ever got on that boat. Six days out, we're one week, and this is from my journal, we're one week from leaving for Ukraine, and I feel like I'm a wrung-out washcloth. If anything could possibly go wrong these past weeks, it certainly has. Lord, are you sure you want me to go? I'm beginning to wonder. Five days out. We're going to take medication. As I told you, we were taking the thyroid medication, but oh my goodness, we had tractor trailer loads of meds that we were taking over there. This was our ticket to get into the hospitals and orphanages. But the medicine has been held up in customs, and they want major money. They wanted hundreds of thousands of dollars to let us get the medicine out. That's our main ticket to get into the hospitals and orphanages. It looks like that's not going to work out. Several of our team members are sick, and it doesn't look like they're going to be able to go. Praying for a miracle here. Four days out. Courtney's school called, and they're not going to let her go. She didn't go to a Christian school. She went to a public school, and they just said she cannot miss that much school. We're not going to let her make the work up. She can't go. We have to decide today if we're going to take her out, no matter what the school decides. Mac and I are praying for direction. Lord, please give us your wisdom and discernment. They did decide to let her go, but they made her make up her test when she got back, which she did with no problem. But at this point, we didn't think she was going to be able to go. Three days out, we got a call that Ukraine is not going to allow our group to enter. There's a problem with the visas. It would be so easy to give up, but Lord, I think you want us to go. Please move in the hearts of those in Ukraine to release the visas. The Bibles we plan to give away, we had 75,000 Bibles that we were going to take to people who had never held a Bible in their hands. The Bibles that we plan to give away are stuck in crates and customs. They say they're not going to release them. They did release them. We didn't know until we got over there, but they released them to farmers who went and put them in their trucks, and they took them out. Do you remember, Courtney, going? We went way out in the country in a farmer's um, barn to get our Bibles because we were afraid that they were going to get them and confiscate them. Two days out, there are problems everywhere I turn. We're having car trouble. The AC is on the fritz. The boys have been fighting all day long. How can I leave Mac with all these problems? Lord, I need help here. It just keeps getting worse and worse. The day before we left, we leave in the morning praying for all the details of the trip. There's so many things that we still haven't worked out. We're going on faith. Lord, 
Please bless our faith. I admit I'm weary, and we haven't even gotten on the plane. We arrived. Here's my journal entry for the day we arrived. We arrived, but my luggage did not. (laughs) The whole time I was there. I was with a 14-year-old. We shared clothes. (laughs) I have absolutely nothing but the clothes on my back that I've now had on for two days. I guess I'll wear Courtney's clothes. Also, we don't have any water in our room. Now, we knew we wouldn't have hot water, but we have no water and we have no power. We have, I have no clothes, we have no water, we have no power. That means no electric curlers, no, no anything. If you're a woman, that matters. Um, plus, we can't eat food. Because of Chernobyl, they kept telling us, you cannot eat anything that comes out of that river, which that's all they ate over there was stuff that came out of that river. You can't eat anything that's come out of the ground because of the nuclear contamination. And nobody had told me to take peanut butter crackers. Let me tell you something. When I go on a mission trip today, even if it's to Israel, I have a whole little suitcase with nothing but peanut butter crackers and granola bars. I learned something from this trip, but I didn't have it all then. For the first time in my life, I'm going to bed hungry. I'd go to bed with my stomach growling, and I'd wake up hungry. Lord, please help me. David writes in Psalm 23.3, he restores my soul. Maybe we have a hard time putting into words exactly what that means, but I'd be willing to bet that every woman in this room can go back to a time in her life when she says, there was a time when I felt just like that. I felt like I was empty on the inside, and I needed the Lord to restore my soul. We get hurt, we get beat up or beat down, we sin. We go through times of depression, despair, discouragement. We all battle with failure, frustration, with fears. All that brings stress into our lives. But David comes to us in this verse and he shares that the Lord wants to take us in that position and he wants to restore our soul. Number one, I want you to see that God restores our soul through his leading. The word David uses here is stronger than it appears. You know, we talk about restoring, and that really sounds kind of weak. But in Hebrew, restore literally means he brings back my soul. It's like you've lost your soul, and David says, he brings back my soul. You know, sheep are not very smart animals. They're not smart like a lion. They're not swift like an antelope. They're not sharp like a dog. Sheep are known pretty much to be dumb animals. A sheep wanders off, not intending to get in trouble. It just wanders off for no reason. Courtney sent me a video this week that I think will show you perfectly what Sheep will do if they're left on their own. This sheep that we're going to see in this video probably just started nibbling. At, look at this. Look. It has, it has nibbled all the way down into this hole, and the shepherd comes and pulls it all the way out. And I want you to watch what that shepherd's going to do when he gets it out. He's going to thump it on his behind, and he's going to say, now get back where you're supposed to be. Get back, get back on that road. <laughs> You know what? That's what sheep do. But ladies, that's what we do from time to time. We just nibble off of the path, the direction that the Lord has for us, and we find ourselves in big, big trouble. But we've got a big, big God that'll come and pull us out of it. 
Sheep can be in a field with plenty to eat and plenty to drink, and they still just have that tendency to wander away. And once lost, they can't find their way back. We've all heard stories, and we've watched movies. If you're a grandmother or if you're a mother, you've watched uh, stories with your children about animals that have wandered away, and they've miraculously come hundreds of miles across the United States to find their family. You know about Lassie. We watch Homeward Bound at our house over and over and over, and Shadow, Sassy, and Chaz somehow made it all the way across the ocean, the desert, up trees, down trees. They just find their way home. But sheep don't do that. But let me tell you another animal that does. Rabbits do. Courtney, you're going to remember this. When my kids were little, I bought them a rabbit. Okay, that's not exactly true. If I'm going to, I bought me a rabbit. And I told Mac I had bought it for the children because I'm Ellie Mae Clampett. We've had every animal. We've had ducks. We've had chinchillas. We've had, you name it, and we've had it at our house. So I bought me a rabbit, and I told Mac it was for the kids. Bugsy was this rabbit, this particular one, that just was a great little pet. I don't know if you've ever had rabbits and pets, but they really make good pets. Well, Bugsy did live outside, uh, and I put him in a pen that was up off the ground, and I'd go out every morning, and I'd pick Bugsy up out of the pen, and I'd let him run around the yard for the day. He'd run around, he'd eat, he'd you know, hop around, they'd jump up, and they'd kick their feet up in the air because they're so happy. Until one day, when I went out to pick Bugsy up, I'd go back at night and pick him up and put him in the pen for the night. Bugsy wasn't there in the yard. We have no idea how Bugsy got out of the fence in the backyard. I began thinking maybe a bird had come over and gotten Bugsy, but we didn't know. But my kids started praying, Lord, please bring Bugsy back. Please bring Bugsy back. At night, for two weeks, my kids would pray, Lord, please help Bugsy find his way home. And I'm praying, Lord, what a great opportunity for you to show my children that you answer prayer. Bring my Bugsy back, please. So we had come in from a Wednesday night service, drove into the driveway, and there across, I'm telling y'all, he'd been gone for two weeks, across our front door, on the mat, Bugsy stretched out just like that, and this is a flop position that they only do when they're really relaxed, and he looked at us like, where have you been? (laughs) Sheep don't do that. Sheep do not come back. They wander away and they stay away. Uh... Spiritually, we're just like sheep. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. That's our tendency to do that. We have a profound tendency to desert what's good for us. We can translate that in today's terminology. The grass is always greener on the other side. That's exactly right. And that's what we begin thinking. We wander and then it causes dryness and barrenness in our very souls. Maybe we stop having our prayer time every morning. Maybe we stop spending time in the scripture. Maybe we stop coming to Sunday school every week, uh, life groups, as y'all call them. Maybe we, you know, if there's not a ball game and I'm not tired on Sunday morning, I'll get up and go to church. We just start wandering away from what we know is the best thing for us, and we become very dry. Exodus 15 describes what the children of Israel did. They went from praising the Lord when they saw the miracles that he had done, parting the Red Sea. They saw all of that, and just a few verses over, they're grumbling because they took their eyes off of God. We have the tendency to do that. I sure found myself in that place before I left for Ukraine. It had become a me-against-the-world mentality for me. 
I felt like I was out fighting all the battles because I had failed in all of my misery to realize that God was in control. Let me ask, what provision does the good shepherd make for his wandering sheep? Number two, I want you to see that God restores us as we submit to him. I want us to look at two things he does for us. Number one, he restores us. And number two, he reanimates us. Restoration, the word literally means a renewing or a refreshing. When used in the context with the soul, it translates, he causes my life to return or to be renewed. I'm just guessing David was probably thinking about the time that he was in the pit, the darkest time of his life when he was writing this right here, when he had gotten completely out of God's will for his life with Bathsheba. I mean, he, had, he was doing his own thing totally outside of God's will, and it was a very dark time for him. I, I imagine that David is thinking about that, and he remembered how God sent Nathan to look at him, to tell him that story. We talked about it last week, and to point his finger at him and say, thou art that man. You're that man who's gotten outside of God's will. And what did David do? David repented, and he got back in right relationship with the Lord. Only God can restore us when we get to that place, when we're in that dry, barren place physically. Only God can do that. But he also reanimates us. God takes us when we're exhausted, and he invigorates us. He adds life to us. He reanimates us. This uh, provision is for those of us who are weary, who are troubled, who are anxious. Our weary lives can find new joy in the Savior as we submit to him. Let me tell you, you, you heard about what happened before I went to Ukraine, but let me tell you how God reanimated us in Ukraine. Courtney was the only youth on the trip with us, 99 adults and Courtney. Courtney was our ticket into the schools. They wouldn't let young life in. They wouldn't let world changers in. They wouldn't let any of these Christian groups in. But when we told them that we had an American teenager who just wanted to talk, to their teenagers and tell them about life in America, bingo, doors started opening. She must have spoken in, I don't know, 12 or 14 different schools. Most of the schools, she would just go into classrooms and she would go from classroom to classroom to classroom and she would tell them about how she made it as an American. And she would say, I've come to realize that God has a plan for my life. Let me share you share with you about that plan. And she would share, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. In at least three of those schools, they called the whole student body together, and they let Courtney talk to the entire student body, which was a little overwhelming for a teenager. But let me tell you something. She did an amazing job. She had an interpreter, and she did an amazing job. Every time she spoke, we saw at least 80% of those who listened to her pray to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. In one of the schools that we left, I'll never forget it, we were on our way back out to get in the bus to go back to the boat, and one of the teachers ran after us, ran after us, just hugging us, kissing us, hugging us, kissing us. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for so much for coming. She hugged Courtney, and she said, all my life I've known there was a God. All my life, but I didn't know who he was. You've come, and you've told me about Jesus, and my life will never be the same again. Well, let me tell you something. Neither was Courtney's life. Because the Lord began doing something in her life on that trip. And as we went on future trips down the road, he began solidifying his call on her life to serve on the foreign mission field. After she graduated from college, she finished in three years, she was the youngest 
journeyman on the field. She served in Beirut, Lebanon, in the Muslim section. And let me tell you, the Lord gave her an exceptional ability to learn the Arabic language. As a matter of fact, when we went over to see her, she was actually translating for some of the missionaries who had been there for years. So you see, the Lord was doing things on so many different levels. He was stirring that in her heart, and he also placed in my heart a passion is the only way I can describe it. If you've been on a mission trip, you come back with a passion to reach a lost world for Christ. We went, uh, as, a, as a family, we've probably gone on, I don't know, 10 or 12 mission trips overseas and at least that many in the States. But the Lord placed that passion in my life to do something more than just go on a trip. I served for over 14 years as a trustee on the International Mission Board where I worked with over 5,000 missionaries, helping them with all of their logistics, helping them with all of their details that kept them on the field so they didn't have to worry with that. So you see... The Lord had something so amazing planned for us, so much more amazing than just us safely getting to the Ukraine. And don't think Satan didn't know that. Can't you see why Satan tried to block us? Not just for what he did in our lives, but let me tell you what happened on that trip. Over 4,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I think more than that, but that was 4,000 cards. We asked them to fill out a form with their name and their information. And you stop and think, this is in Ukraine after the fall of the Berlin Wall, and they're filling out a card saying, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. They were frightened. It was still at a time when they weren't sure that they weren't going to come and be arrested for that. 4,000 did that. We gave out over 75,000 Bibles. We would go down some streets and we would see, because when we ran out of Bibles, we would do so many at each port so we'd have enough to last the whole way. We would give out of Bibles at every port and we would see them tearing the Bibles apart to give to people so that everybody would have a little piece of the Bible. That's how much they treasured God's Word. We gave out over $1 million worth of medical supplies. This was to help people who would have had no source of comfort. And there were over 50 churches that were started from that trip. Now, that was that many years ago. From those 50 churches, they've planted churches, who've planted churches, who've planted churches. So you can multiply these numbers probably 10, 20 times over. Do you see why God wanted us there and why Satan so wanted to defeat us before we got there? Let me tell you, number three, God restores us to service. Tonight, perhaps more than anything else, you need to have your soul restored. In Psalm 42, 5, David asks of his own soul, Why are you cast down, O my soul? I want you to look at this picture of a sheep that is cast down. It's a term that's used of a sheep who's fallen over on their backs and their legs are flailing in the air. This sheep cannot turn himself over. It's impossible. He's got so much wool on him, and a lot of that has picked up trash along the way. And I could go into that about how we pick up so much junk from the world that it causes us to be cast down. But he can't turn himself over. What does the shepherd do? The shepherd goes lovingly to this sheep, and he doesn't just pat him and say, get up, because he can't get up. If he's been on his back for so long, the blood has come out of his little legs, and it's gone down into that big stomach cavity, and he, some of them will suffocate. 
because they can't breathe. It gets so heavy. And if you turn them over, they've had no circulation in their little legs, so they'll, they'll just fall over. No, he'll kneel down beside that sheep, and he'll take his little legs, and he'll rub them. He'll massage them to massage that blood back in it. And then he'll pick that sheep up. He'll turn him over. He'll rub him. And then if he's not too large, that, sheep, that shepherd will pick that sheep up, and he'll love him. He'll hold him until he can get him back on the ground and walking. You know, that is a picture of what God wants to do for us. Not zap us. Not zap us when we get out of his will. But he wants to lovingly, lovingly bring us back in to right relationship with him. What a wonderful shepherd we serve. Well, let's move on to another cause of stress in our lives Aimlessness and purposelessness. Perhaps you've had some dream, some hope, some desire crushed somewhere along the way. We've all watched people go from church to church, from fad to fad. They just seem to be searching for something. David talks about that in this psalm when he states, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So often we come to crossroads in our life, and I see this so much with Christians, where they have a decision that they need to make, and they're just paralyzed with fear. They're afraid they're going to make the wrong decision, so they make no decision. Have you ever known anybody like that? They're afraid they're going to make the wrong decision, so they don't make any decision at all. David writes, and he says, number one, you need to determine who is going to lead your life when you get to that point where you just don't know what to do? You feel aimless. You feel like you don't have any purpose in your life. Determine who's going to lead your life. He writes and says that God guides. David has determined in his life who was going to do the leading. I told you last week we like to get out front of God and say, okay, I'm going to take care of this. You just come along behind me to clean up my mess. It's not the way it works. He states that God will lead his life, he will guide him. The question is not, will he or can he? The question with us is, will we allow him to lead and guide us? You know, sheep have very poor eyesight. Don't you feel sorry for these little sheep? You're finding out so much about them. They're very poor eyesight. They can only see about 15 yards ahead of them. They desperately need to be led. Let me tell you, ladies, we desperately need our shepherd to lead us. Oftentimes, a shepherd will lead the sheep through dangerous gorges on rough mountain paths in order to get them to what he knows is best for them on the other side of that mountain. The sheep will get closer and closer and closer to the shepherd as they're afraid because they're trusting more and more and more on his guidance. I'm going to tell you today, ladies, we're going to all go through dark times. I could, I could share with you about some of the most difficult times we've gone through. When Wills was just 18 months old, and I won't go through all the details, but he stopped growing. We went and had x-rays done. He hadn't grown for about six or eight months at all. I mean, no growth at all. And they did bone age surveys on him, and they determined that his bones were growing faster than his chronological age. They were aging faster. And we thought for a good long time that he had progeria. We went to the to King's Daughters Hospital in Charlottesville, went to see a world-renowned endocrinologist. And long story short, the Lord healed him from that. He didn't have progeria, but those were some of the darkest days. When you're beside your child and you think he may not lead a normal life, 
and there's nothing that you can do. The doctors have no answers for you. Let me tell you, that's a time that you cling closer to the shepherd than you ever have before. But you know what? He's faithful during those times. He's faithful. And you learn more about him than you'd ever learn on the straight path, on the the path, on the mountaintop. You learn more about him in those valley experiences. And we're going to look at that next week. We're going to look at the valleys of life. As we put our lives under the direction of our great shepherd and we follow him closely, he'll direct you in your time of need in the right path. Number two, we need to decide that we will live the life that God has led us to. David states, he guides me. That's a personal pronoun. If you know him as Lord and Savior, you can insert your name there. He guides Debbie. He guides Diane. He guides Courtney. He guides you when you submit to his authority. If you'll allow him, he'll lead and guide you in the paths of righteousness. That means in the path that is pure and holy. But as a shepherd, David knows something else about leading. The Palestinian shepherd was a master at reading tracks you to look here, and you can, you can tell what that is, but let me tell you, the Palestinian shepherd can look at a huge field, and he can see where there have been predators there. He can tell maybe if there have been robbers there, something that intends to harm his sheep, and he's going to guide them in a path that'll get them away from those predators. Sheep with their terrible eyesight and their lack of a sense of direction need a shepherd to guide their every step. Ladies, so do we. We have to count on him every day in the difficult times, in the joyful times. We need a shepherd to guide us every day. Like the Palestinian shepherd who could read the pathway, God and God alone knows the path that he's planned for you. He sees the end of the road. He sees what we can't see. Just like this shepherd can read that path and he knows what's ahead of those sheep that they can't see and they can't understand, our shepherd can see the same thing for us. The Bible tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God created each one of us individually. No two of us in this room are exactly alike. And he's created a path for each one of you. How do you discern that path? How do you know what you need to do? Let me give you three ways. Number one, his word. God has told us in general terms how he wants us to live, love, talk, take care of our bodies, handle our money, function as a family, be an employee. In general terms, our path can be discerned through his word. But also, he's given us the Holy Spirit. Jesus has promised the guidance of the Holy Spirit in John 15, 26. We can feel the Holy Spirit prompting us when we stay close to God in prayer. We can feel him prompting us. And then third, the advice of wise and godly people. Look at Proverbs 24, 6. For by wise guidance and in the abundance of counselors, there is victory. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful what you read. And Courtney, that was a great thing that you put on Facebook about 
one of the books that so many young Christian women are reading. Be careful what you read. Be discerning what you read. But I also advise you to seek wisdom from godly people. God uses wise and godly people to speak truth. Let me give you a few do's and don'ts in decision making. Number one, don't ever, ever, ever make a decision in the midst of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. Mac and I determined years ago, 39 years ago when we got married, probably 40 years ago before we got married, that we would never make a major decision in our marriage if there was confusion. We do nothing. God isn't the author of confusion. Number two, don't base your decisions solely on your feelings. Feelings of bliss don't necessarily confirm God's leading in your life. We often mistake feeling good about something as, hey, that's got to be God's will. Being obedient to God can lead to difficult days, not bliss. I'm just going to tell you, when God called us here to Valleydale, it wasn't a blissful time for me. I left a son, a daughter-in-law, and four grandchildren in Jacksonville. It was difficult for me, very difficult. But we will get a, a sense of peace, absolute peace, even in the midst of a difficult situation, if it's the Lord's will. And number three, do wait on God's leading. We live in such a fast-paced society where we want quick answers. Lord, I'm going to pray tonight, and I want to answer in the morning. If you don't answer me by in the morning, I'm just going to do what I feel like I need to do, and then you're going to need to bless it. Let me tell you, <laughs> being obedient to God can, can, uh, can sometimes take us a little bit of time for us to, to really discern his leading for our life. It's not always instantaneously. Uh, we can't rush ahead with the decision. We have to wait on the Lord. And in that waiting, we're going to learn a lot about our shepherd. And number four, do find comfort in God's provision, in his providence. If you get before God and you pray and you wait, but you still wind up on what you think is the wrong path, trust God. You can't see the end of the road. And you may not understand. You may not understand this side of heaven. But there are times that he lets us see. As our shepherd, the Lord will prove to be both merciful and righteous in our lives when we submit to him. In conclusion, I want to share two thoughts with you. Number one, the greatest tragedy in life, I think, is existing without ever knowing or fulfilling the very reason you were created. At the end of his life, Paul stated, I finished the race, and he stated it with joy. Now, you've got to know that Paul lived a difficult life. The path that the Lord had him on was often difficult. You know about the beatings, and oh my goodness, Paul lived such a difficult time, but with joy, he said, I finished the race. And then second, never judge the path God leads you down until you get to the end. Too often we criticize and we doubt God's unfinished plan in our life. And I'm going to tell you, I found that true in Ukraine. God opened the door for me to share the second time I went to Ukraine. I went back. We took all the family with us the second time we went back to Ukraine. And the Lord allowed me just a little glimpse of understanding why I had walked through some of the difficulties that I had gone through. If you were not here last week, I shared with the ladies that when I was 30 years of age, right after my mom had died from a 
just a very difficult death with breast cancer. My grandmother had died with breast cancer. All of my aunts had died, seven of nine females. At 30, I had bilateral mastectomies and reconstruction. And I'm going to tell you, there were a lot of times I felt like, Lord, you've just made a mistake here. That You've just made a mistake. This wasn't necessary for me. Well, when I was in Ukraine the second time, uh, we would get on buses and go out, as I told you, each day. And I got on a bus, just happened to, and don't you just love God's happenstance? There's no happenstance with the Lord, I'll, I'll go ahead and add. I got on a bus that was headed for one of the hospitals. I don't do real well in hospitals. I have a sister who's a nurse. I'm not a nurse, and I'm not real good uh, with folks who are sick. But I, this was the bus that I was on. We got out. We went into the, the clinic more than a hospital. They called it a hospital, but it was really more like a clinic. Pitiful, dirty, smelly. You, just, you can't even imagine dark. All the lights were turned down. I don't know if it was just because of the lack of power. They took us into the clinic area where they had their meds, and there was just a little glass cabinet there with hardly anything there, a few bandages, not much of anything. But they divided us up. The hospital administrator met us there, and they sent two or three people to this ward, two or three people to this ward, two or three people to this ward. And I ended up with my interpreter going to a ward where they opened the door, and there was a U-shape in the hospital room with women on the bed, all in that U-shape. Horrible situation. I asked my interpreter, explain to me what's, what's going on. And as she was talking, they wheeled a woman in and put her right beside me. And the girl said, all of these women have had surgery for breast cancer. This is the ward for breast cancer. So I went to the very first bed, and I started sharing. I'm Debbie Brunson. I am come from America. I want to just come and share with you about Jesus. Nyet, nyet. She was obviously in pain. No, she didn't want to hear me. And she was almost angry. So I've got a limited amount of time. I just told her, I'm going to pray for you. I went to the next bed and say, we're willing this woman in. And I asked the interpreter, tell me what, what's going on. She's just coming in. She said, well, this woman has just had the nodes removed from under her arm. And as I looked, they didn't have sutures. This hospital didn't have any sutures. So they had done that, and they had taken what looked like a dirty linen napkin, and they had folded that up, and they had placed it under her arm. Now, while I'm getting past that, I'm watching them go around the room with what looked like an anti-IV, glass IV container, and they were taking the needle out of, they'd started over in this room, they'd taken the needle out of one woman's arm, and they said it was chemotherapy. Heaven only knows what it was. Probably water, and they were just wanting to give these women some hope. But they would take it out of this woman's arm. They would go to the next bed, stick that same needle, same IV back in the next. So I watched. I'm watching as they're doing this. But I stop, and I start talking to this woman, and she's, she's just in so much pain. And I started again. I'm Debbie Brunson. I've come, I want to share with you about Jesus. And I said, I understand you've just come back. I'm talking through the interpreter from having your nodes removed. I know exactly what you're going through. I had that same surgery. So I pulled up my shirt and I shouldered the scars. I have scars under my arm where I had my nodes removed. And I said, I had mine removed too. I've been through the same surgery that you've been through. I've had my breasts removed. I've had that done. I said, can I share with you how I made it through? Well, what do you think she said? Absolutely. Share with me about, tell me, tell me how you made it through. Tell me how you made it through the pain. So I began sharing with her about Jesus. The only way I could make it through, I told her, is because I had Jesus. And I shared with her. And at the end of that, I said, do you want to ask Jesus to come into your heart? Yes, yes, yes. So she prayed the sinner's prayer, prayed with her. And as I'm going to the third bed, the woman in the first bed had been listening. And she called me back, come back. You tell me, you tell me, you show me, you tell me. 
So I went bed to bed around that ward, and I shared with every woman about Jesus. They listened to me because I had walked down the same path that they had walked down. As I was going back to the bus that day, the Lord spoke to me so clearly. You thought I made a mistake. You thought I made a mistake. But you see, I wanted to use you. You had no idea that this was going to happen. And let, let me tell you, Diane and I were talking last week. Through these years, the Lord has given me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to share with women who are walking down the same path that I walked down. God doesn't make mistakes. Ladies, let me share with you. Don't judge the path that you're going down until you get to the end of it. The Lord wants to use everything that happens in your life to bring glory and honor to Him. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you and we're so thankful. We're so thankful for the 23rd Psalm that shows us that you are our shepherd, that you love us, you care for us, you nurture us just like that shepherd does, those sheep. Lord, there are times that the shepherd surely gets so aggravated with those sheep who just don't seem to understand that he loves them. Well, Lord, I'm just like that. I know you just want to shake me sometimes, but Lord, like that cast sheep, you just lovingly, lovingly wrap your arms around me and you remind me that you are my shepherd, that you do love me, that even when I get outside your will for my life, Lord, you're coaxing me to come back. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the promise, Father, that you'll never leave me or forsake me. But Lord, you make that same promise to every woman in here who knows you as Lord and Savior. I just ask tonight, Father, if there's anybody here that's struggling, if there's anybody here who says, well, I can't know him as, as my shepherd because I don't know him. I don't know him. I've heard you talk about Jesus. I've heard you talk about that shepherd, but I don't know him. Lord, I pray that you would bring her to one of the ladies who's going to be down front and let us share with her about how they can know the peace and comfort and care of a shepherd. We love you, Father. We love you. We thank you. We thank you for never giving up on us. No matter how many times we wander away, you never give up on us, and I thank you for that. I love you, Jesus, my shepherd. Amen. Every 